For a new song has come into the world, and the world will never be the same again. Because in this song is every note on every scale, every chord ever imagined, with a rhythm and a beat like no other. A song that was and is and ever will be. That's the Reverend Susanna Davis, and today she shares an inspiring message of Christmas faith called A New Song. I'm Dalton Rushing. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's your host to introduce today's speaker. This is guest host Dalton Rushing, and today on Day One, we're delighted to have with us the Reverend Susanna Davis, Senior Minister of Kirkwood United Church of Christ in Atlanta, Georgia. Susanna is a graduate of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, and then earned her MDiv from Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta. She was ordained in the United Methodist Church and served churches and agencies in the North Georgia Conference for 11 years before receiving a call to start a new church with the United Church of Christ in 2006. Susanna is a mental health first aid trainer and teaches in the contextual education program at Candler School of Theology. Susanna, welcome to Day One and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thanks, Dalton, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Susanna, you've served as Senior Minister of Kirkwood United Church of Christ for 17 years now, if my math is correct. First, give us an overview of the church and its people and ministries these days. What are you up to in Kirkwood? Oh, my goodness. Uh, So we have actually been around more like 16 years, but it feels more like 27 (laughs) years. No, that's not true at all. Uh, we are were a new church start uh, in the community of Kirkwood and have uh, situated ourselves in a myriad of places throughout that community, but for the past seven years have uh, been worshiping in a new building that we built on a very busy street, mm-hmm. Roger Street, across from uh, the Pullman Yards there in Kirkwood. We have so many new housing units around us. We often call our neighbors uh, housing, new member housing, so Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. the hope that they may come and join us and worship with us. Uh, We have had a terrific uh, Advent season into Christmas. It's been a busy time, but also a beautiful time uh, as we have lifted up uh, the songs of 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 our faith during this season. We are looking forward to 2024 and for all that is ahead of us. We have ministries that are mostly situated within our community, uh, serving folks who are living in poverty, serving the unhoused uh, in our community. God is good and God is faithful and God keeps calling us to, to be faithful uh, to those folks who who uh, live near us and with us. How would you describe the Kirkwood community, and how does the church seek to serve your neighbors? So we've been there 
16 years and an enormous amount of gentrification has taken place, mm. an enormous amount of growth. And uh, in the beginning, I, f I, I feel like those changes that were made, the growth that was happening was sustainable for the entire community in mm. many ways. Uh, people had space to share their concerns and their hopes and their voices. But probably the past five years, the growth has been of great magnitude. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we have lost the voices of many of the folks who have lived there for the past 50, 60 years. Wow. I also uh, experience the unhoused reality mm -hmm. of people in our community. And KUCC is working on... Uh, affordable housing with the city. We've met with a couple of city uh, leaders over the past two years um, in hopes of creating affordable housing in our area. Yet we are also aware that there is this group of people who are unhoused, who are living in poverty right now, who wouldn't even be able to move, who wouldn't even have an opportunity to move into affordable housing. So what is that other tier of housing and shelter that could care for the most vulnerable in mm -hmm. our community? That That is a focus uh, of, of our work and ministry and life together at KUCC right now. Susanna, you were called by the United Church of Christ to start the church in 2006. How did you take the first steps to building the church community? Well, we bought a coffee shop, mm -hmm. and uh, we called it Gathering Grounds, and we hoped that it would be that, a place of gathering for the community. And and it was in many ways. Uh, our tagline was creating community one cup of coffee at a time. Mm. That's, a, that's a long tagline, but, <laughs> uh, but it worked in many ways. And while we weren't certain exactly what shape or form this community would would become. We worshiped for the very first time on Christmas Eve in 2006, and the place was packed out. Wow. And uh, it felt like the lead that we should follow mm. in terms of gathering people and giving space for people to worship and and to share and and to become KUCC. Susanna, you're a mental health first aid trainer, such an important role it seems these days. What does that involve, and why did you pursue that work? Well, um, it has been a couple of years since I have participated in the mental health first aid training. COVID sort of shifted some of that, uh, but for several years, church member and I, Catherine, Dr. Catherine Bryan now, would move throughout the state of Georgia really offering these trainings to people. Um, very high-level training, but giving people tools, equipping people with tools to know how to respond uh, if someone is dealing with a mental health crisis or a mental health emergency. We have over the past many years, and especially these couple of years, experienced such trauma mm. and are are beginning to be able to talk about that more and more. 
And mental health first aid just helps to equip people with ways to respond to folks who are in need. And in our particular community, we spend time every Sunday in some way, shape, or form lifting up the needs of those around us. And 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 much of that has to do with our mental health or the lack of our mental health or the lack of support around mental health. There has been such stigma talking about the reality of this uh, that that is one of our ministries at KUCC is to bring to light those who are are struggling with mental health issues and to support them in the very best way possible. Another way you're involved in ministry is through teaching in the contextual education program at the Candler School of Theology. That's work you and I both do. How would you explain that program and how you're involved? Well, the program is an opportunity for second-year students predominantly to serve in a local church setting or perhaps a a nonprofit setting Mm. uh, for about eight hours a week during each semester of the year and to just practice ministry alongside their site mentors, uh, other uh, ministers who have uh, said yes to being mentors to these students and to learn from them. Also, the congregation has said yes to these students mm-hmm. coming to be a part uh, of the pastoral staff in different ways. And we've we've had student ministers at our church, and it's such a beautiful engagement mm-hmm. of of the opportunity for us to learn from one another, the opportunity for us to support students who are moving toward a full-time ministry in some way, shape, or form. And Dalton, you and I get the real honor mm. and joy, I think, of being able to meet with these students throughout the semester to reflect on what this experience has been like, to to share in the joy when one of those ministry practices goes really well and to talk through the, you know, disappointment mm-hmm. or or fear when one of them doesn't go mm-hmm. really well. But it, it does feel like an honor to be with these students and to and to move with them in in and through this process toward ordination or toward some sort of meaningful ministry in their lives. Amen. I wonder, how did you experience your own call to ministry? I was young and um, we went to church, and there was really nothing else to do in <laughs> Warrington, Georgia, growing up. And we all went to church, my friends. But I loved it, and I felt connected to the whole of that community and that congregation and had opportunities, even as a kid and then certainly as a youth, to participate in worship, to participate in ministry, to participate on the board. That was that was true for the district that I was a part of mm-hmm. and the conference um, in the United Methodist Church, and was shaped and formed by that crowd in Warrington, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And I began to recognize this call in, in a clearer kind of way. Their support was exceptional. And uh, it's hard to think about my call to ministry without really 
thinking about that particular church in that particular context and those particular people. And I give thanks to God for them as I carry them with me throughout ministry. Wow. Well, Susanna, we've celebrated Christmas. I hope you had a merry one. Your sermon today focuses on the gospel lesson for the first Sunday after Christmas when the baby Jesus is presented at the temple and Simeon and Anna greet the Messiah. Would you read the text for us? Sure, Dalton. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 2. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, Now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. It's a very moving encounter at the temple. I wonder what stood out for you here as you prepared your sermon. My goodness, there was a lot uh, to stand out, but Dalton, I told you as we were preparing for this, that this is the first time I've ever preached on this scripture Mm. and certainly have known about Simeon and Anna, uh, but to dig a little, a little more into their stories um, was curious to me. But I, I think, I think what, what 
overall opened for me was just the faithfulness of these parents, knowing that something was different about this kid, but not understanding that altogether. I can't imagine that they could have. And yet faithful to the customs and traditions and rituals of their own faith, but open to what Anna and Simeon were saying about this kid of theirs and trying to imagine how they held all of that, you know, while they fed him and took care of him and mm. slept very little. Just the just the realness of this holy family, especially in those in those beginning days and years of his life. And yet, you know, sort of wherever they end up, we we have these beautiful stories of people helping them understand who this kid is, uh, who this Jesus is and will be forever and ever, and the curiosity of how they take that all in. I know hmm. That's a lot, but um, that's something that has really stuck with me and will continue to, I hope. Susanna, we look forward to hearing your message, which you've titled, A New Song. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you, Dalton. So happy to be here with you. If you'd like to listen again to today's program with Susanna Davis with an extended interview, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app to Day One Weekly Program, or you can stream or download it on our website at dayone.org. And if you'd like a free printed sermon transcript, just call us at 404-815-9110. It's still Christmas, my friends, and we are in a season of singing songs. At this point, I wonder how many times you've heard Nat King Cole sing, Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Or maybe a little Brenda Lee, Rocking around the Christmas tree. Or perhaps the one and only, always and forever, Amy Grant. Breath of heaven, hold me together, be forever near me. Perhaps at this point, though, you're kind of sick of those songs. At Kirkwood United Church of Christ, there's always a little tension as we sing the songs of Advent, waiting, waiting, waiting for the songs of Christmas. And this year was especially challenging, as the fourth Sunday of Advent was also Christmas Eve. By then, we were ready to sing. Silent night, holy night, and go tell it on the mountain. When someone asks me about my favorite Christmas song, I'm quick to wonder, do I have to have just one? Can I have a couple of them? So I wonder, what are some of your favorite Christmas songs? It seems that the gospel writer Luke 
had several favorite songs in all different kinds of genres. Beginning with the Magnificat, a song of justice, as Mother Mary sings of how her soul magnifies the Lord and her spirit exalts in God her Savior. For God has brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. The hungry are filled and God's promises fulfilled, and not just for her, but for all who live in the margins, on the sidelines, waiting, watching, hoping for God to come near, for righteousness to rise up. Zechariah is next to pick up the microphone, and finding his voice again bellows out a ballad of praise to God for his son John, his son, who by the tender mercies of God will prepare the way for the rising sun, who will shine on all people, guiding their feet into the path of peace. And then with a perfect pitch of proclamation, the choir comes in as the angels hover in the heavens with a harmony matched by no other multitude, serenading the whole of creation. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to everyone, everyone, everyone. And the child is born. Oh, come, let us adore him. And the shepherds and their sheep snuggle around him. And Mary holds this moment, all of it, in her heart. For a new song has come into the world, and the world will never be the same again. Because in this song is every note on every scale, every chord ever imagined, with a rhythm and a beat like no other. A song to be shared with both diminuendo and crescendo. A song that was and is and ever will be. But for now, for now, the music is quiet, more like a lullaby. La, 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 lu, la, 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 lu, la. Jesus is sleeping, sweet dreams and good night. And Mary and Joseph, they change his swaddling clothes and they feed him and they hold him, and they love him. They are faithful parents, faithful followers of God, and faithful to the Jewish laws, rituals, and customs of their ancestors. On the eighth day, they took the baby to be circumcised and celebrated the name given him, Jesus. Forty days pass, and the Holy Family make their way to the temple for dear Mary, it was a ritual and a rite of purification, and for her son Jesus, the firstborn, a dedication. All of this in keeping with those who had gone before them, a covenant kept, a blessed beginning. Now, at the same time, it seems, there was another making his way to the temple, Simeon, the scripture says, was guided by the Spirit into the temple. 
Luke doesn't give us an enormous amount of information about Simeon, but we do know that he was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. We also know that he knew the law and the prophets and the promise, and he could not wait to get his arms around the promised one. Simeon reminds me of some of us when the new baby in the congregation comes to church for the first time, and we all just gather around, waiting for a turn to hold that baby in our arms, to squeeze that chubby little body with love. I wonder what Mary thought when Simeon took Jesus right out of her arms. Did she let him go? willingly? Did she try to hold on to him? This tension she would wonder about and wrestle with her whole life. But there he is, the song in Simeon's arms, in Simeon's heart, the song that Simeon waited his whole life to hear. And then Simeon sings a song of hope, the Nunc Dimittis, a departing song, an evening prayer, a blessing, a peace. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation prepared for all people, a light, a revelation to the Gentiles, and your glory to your people Israel. And the candles burn bright in the temple and the shadows give way to God's glory. And Simeon blesses the parents and gives them back their song, his song, our song. And Simeon says to Mary, this kid is going to break your heart wide open, and it will not be easy. But when he sings, he will turn the world around. And as if that weren't enough, in walks the prophet Anna, who overheard the song. For her home was in the temple, where she too seemed to be guided by the Spirit, with fasting, prayer, and worship, night and day. Anna doesn't sing. Not everyone sings. Everyone can make a joyful noise unto the Lord, but not everyone feels comfortable singing. My best childhood friend, Glee Smith, she never sang songs, at least not solos at all of the pageants we would put on at Warrington First United Methodist Church. Singing was not her thing, but she was so smart, is so smart. She practically memorized the whole Bible and spoke the story as the rest of us sang it. Anna speaks. Yes. She speaks up and out in her old age. In her grief, she finds her voice, and she praises God for this song, this song of freedom, this redemption song. The Scripture says when they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the song grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, 
and the favor of God was upon him. Do you still hear the song? The song of justice, of praise, of proclamation, of peace, of liberation, of redemption? There there are so many other songs out there, and many of them are quite spectacular, beckoning us to join in. You know the tune. Sing along, it goes something like this. Everybody wants to rule the world. We are the champions. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Shake it off. Try that in a small town. A cacophony of melodies calling us to listen and believe that somehow the song is in harmony with a culture caught up in the empire, the realm of wealth and success and drive and determination to win. There is only the crescendo, the increase. But we so often find ourselves in the diminuendo, the decrease. Yet, as the noise fades around us, the song becomes clearer, often in a minor key, where God's favor rests. With the poor and the brokenhearted, with people of color and women, with Muslims and Jews, with the LGBTQ plus community, with the refugees and the incarcerated. These are the ones for whom the song came to sing. I am one of them. Maybe you are too. Even so, the song, in his infinite grace, radical welcome, and unconditional love, beckons all of us to join in the chorus as the conductor leads us, lifting our hearts and our voices, bringing all of us into that grand and glorious major key. And you know the words, and everyone can make a joyful noise. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. This is how people will know that you are my disciples. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive one another as you have been forgiven. This is my body broken for you. This is my love poured out for you. Remember me. You are in me, and I am in you, and I will be with you always. On the eve of this new year, in this Christmas season, as you look toward 2024, perhaps you are already working on your resolutions. But maybe instead, or along with, you'll pick out a song, your theme song, for all that is ahead. And maybe it will be your favorite song, a song of justice, of praise, of proclamation, of peace, of liberation, of redemption, a love song for the whole world. I'll close with this beautiful offering. It is poetry in motion, an anthem for the ages, a spoken word 
by Howard Thurman. The Work of Christmas. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among others, to make music in the heart. May it be so, my friends. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the Reverend Susanna Davis, Senior Minister of Kirkwood United Church of Christ in Atlanta, Georgia. For a free transcript of her message for the first Sunday after Christmas Day, titled, A New Song, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. And to listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, search the sermon archives, and much more, visit us online at dayone.org. Keep in mind that Day One depends on the generous donations of our faithful listeners. Please send your year-end gift today to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305, or donate online at dayone.org. From all of us at Day One, thank you for your support. I'm Dalton Rushing, sending you and yours our prayers for a happy and blessed new year. Next time on Day One, as we begin a new year of programs, we're pleased to welcome the Reverend Dr. Greg Stovell, Senior Pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in the City of New York. His inspiring message for the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord is titled, Disruptive. Be sure to be listening next week on Day One. Now our Day One preacher, Susanna Davis, offers some final reflections on her sermon today, A New Song. And Susanna, you acknowledge that some of us by now may be pretty sick and tired of Christmas carols, even though we love them. And Luke's gospel is full of songs of the season, from Mary's song of justice, the Magnificat, to Zechariah, to the angels, and now Simeon's song. You said a new song has come into the world, and the world will never be the same again. I wonder if you'd put some context to all this singing. Why is expressing our faith in songs so important? Well... I like that question a lot. Um, <laughs> I I do not remotely consider myself to be any grand singer at all, but I love to sing. Mm-hmm. I love to sing. You asked earlier a little bit about my call. You know, I I I think I learned about who God is in in and through the hymns that we sang at church, and in moments of joy, in moments of grief, in moments of fear, songs rise up, often connected to Scripture, uh, but it's the songs that I remember and hold in my heart, and it and it feels like I'm holding my faith in my heart in mm-hmm. many ways. And I'll just say, growing up at Warrington First United Methodist Church, uh, Carolyn Lankford was our children's director, 
And if you were a part of the children's department, and you were, mm -hmm. uh, then she she had you singing songs when you were three years old, mm. memorizing them all and singing them. And so it's just, it's always been a part of my life. It's been a part of my faith. And I love Christmas songs. I may kind of be sick of some of them by now, <laughs> but um, I listen to them throughout the year sometimes. So the thought of a new song, the thought of this new song coming into the world to change the world forever feels to me pretty profound. Mary and Joseph are faithful parents, so their baby son is circumcised and named on the eighth day of his human life. And then 40 days pass, and they make their way to the temple for what's essentially a dedication, a covenant kept, a blessed beginning, you said. And there they encounter this righteous man named Simeon, who takes this child and bursts into song. You said he's essentially telling them this kid is going to break your heart wide open, but he will turn the world around. And Anna, too, adds her praises for God's new song. It's such an emotional moment for these new parents. What do you think was going on in their hearts and minds? What do I think was going on? I think they were just wondering. I think they were wondering what was going on. Hmm. I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I I think they knew, of course, on some level, that this child was special and significant. But how could they have known? How could they have known what we know? How could they have even imagined hmm. what his life and his teaching and his healing and his love could have meant to the world? So I think they probably felt thankful <laughs> that mm. these strangers would want to hold their kid and love their kid and speak of their kid in the way that they did. And I think they must have been terrified, too. Mm. Um, and a sword will pierce your heart. I mean, I can't imagine that Mary didn't tremble mm. hearing that and also not understanding it altogether. Perhaps that is what life as a new parent mm -hmm. is about, though, trembling with joy and with fear in so many ways. You asked in your sermon, do you still hear the song, the song of justice, of praise, of proclamation, peace, liberation, and redemption? So how might we sing this song for others in these challenging times, whether as a solo or as part of a choir? That's a great question. I think we look for the people and the situations and the need to where I believe the song sings most fully and with hope to the people who are on the margins, to the people who are in need. And I think we do that as a solo and as a chorus. I think we have got to continue to sing together the truth that black lives matter. I think mm -hmm. we have to continue to speak out and sing loudly against gun violence throughout our nation mm -hmm. and in our city and in our state. I think uh, we have to show up at the prison and mm -hmm. sing and lift our voices uh, in ways that offer other alternatives and hope for people. 
and it can't just be something that we do on Sundays. It has to be something, it has to be a song that we sing day by day by day by day. Susanna, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them into the new year? Well, that poem by Howard Thurman, Mm. you know, we read it a lot, right? That Sunday Mm -hmm. after Christmas. (laughs) But it is so powerful and it is so true. And what would it mean for us to make music in our heart? Susanna Davis, thanks for being with us and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you, Dalton. Day One is the voice of America's historic Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever. <laughs>